Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines in the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the pod by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We aim to take a look at some of the main news stories in FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. It's Tuesday the 30th of June, and we're on to episode three of FX Talk. On this episode of the podcast, we'll start by discussing the recent improvements witnessed in global economic data. We'll then talk about our thoughts on the US labor market ahead of this Thursday's non-farm payrolls report. And as usual, we'll finish with our spotlight currency for the week, which this week is the Brazilian real. Now, with that out of the way, on with the podcast. So we'll start with our first main topic of the day, which is a recent rebound that we've witnessed in economic data globally. The economies around the world are, of course, beginning to open up again, which has translated itself into improvements in, first of all, the latest business business activity data, so the, the PMIs, which have across the board picked up from their lows and are now approaching the level of 50 that denotes flat growth in most major economic areas. And also consumer activity data. So, for example, the latest retail sales figures have bounced back sharply in most of the major economic areas, showing record monthly gains following record levels of contraction. So what do you guys make of this rebound? Do you think it's likely to continue? And is this perhaps signs of a sharper V-shaped recovery in the global economy? Uh, well, first, I, I comment about the data themselves. I mean, we're looking, when we look at uh, data right now, we have to be very careful because things are changing very fast and most economic data is published with a lag of uh, at least uh, a month to six weeks. The data that we're looking at the most is the PMI, which are surveys that are sent to, uh, to business managers, uh, asking them very simple questions about whether they're seeing more or less or the same amount of business as the previous month. Uh, they're, fit, they're published very, in a very timely uh, manner right before the month. Even before the month is out, you have preliminary data. Now, those have rebounded very, very uh, sharply from low levels, but they have to be interpreted carefully because in most cases, they are indicating only uh, modest expansion or even slight contraction from already very low levels. So with that caveat, uh, clearly, uh, while... Uh, the economy is clearly in most places not expanding as fast as it contracted in, in March and April. Uh, on the plus side, it is rebounding faster than most uh, economies have expected. Uh, forecast of um, uh, the IMF and the Bank of Foreign International Settlements and other multinational institutions will not come to pass. That's the good news. Yeah, so generally, uh, I think it was quite expected that those indices will rebound strongly, but maybe in some cases like the Eurozone or the UK, the rebound was was even stronger than expected. But uh, I would not really make a prediction based on those PMIs regarding the future because you know this is only the really the first true month of uh, really the biggest lockdown eases and afterwards we are not going to see uh, such a big increases and I'm more leaning towards a more uh, slow but continuous uh, improvements in those indices which are currently 
in case of the most uh, developed countries, are still in contractionary territory. So they are below the level 50. There are some exceptions, such as France, uh, but in most cases, they are still pointing out to the uh, to recession. And I would basically be more comfortable with expecting a slow rebound from the current levels, especially that, you know, those economies have, uh, as, at least in, in case of the Eurozone, they have opened up, most of them at least, uh, to really a, a large extent. In case of the UK, we are, maybe we might see a little bit more uh, increases, considering that the UK is really opening up in July uh, to a larger extent. Uh, in terms of the United States, the situation is a bit different. Generally, uh, I would uh, think that uh, there might be an issue there, considering that the recent coronavirus numbers are quite worrisome and some US states have actually halted reopenings, which is quite understandable. And those are the most important in terms of uh, the size of the state. So the, the GDP in, in California and in Florida and some other states is, you know, this is the biggest share of the, of the United States pie. So it's quite worrisome that uh, those states are right now fighting uh, the, the pandemic, which is getting worse uh, by, you know, from, from the day by day. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, early days, of course, but these PMIs in particular uh, do provide reason for optimism, namely, as you said, Enrique, the worst of the downturn now appears to be over, of course, as Economies are beginning to open up again. We're seeing factories, manufacturing activity restarting, shops and hospitality opening up again. This should ensure this uptrend continues, but at a relatively gradual pace. And I think that's probably the, the main question, really, is whether we see a, a V-shaped recovery or, or a U-shaped recovery in the global economy. I think the reality probably lies somewhere in between for, for most major economic areas. Of course, on the one hand, there's plenty of pent-up demand, I think, in, among consumers, particularly uh, among those that benefited from large amounts of government support. But on the other hand, of course, we're seeing at least some of the restrictions remain in place in a lot of these uh, economic areas, whether that be local shutdowns or more national measures uh, that are likely to remain in place for some time. So, yeah, I'm sure, uh, probably the recovery is likely to be likely to continue, although at a very gradual pace and dependent on how authorities deal with these local flare-ups in the virus uh, yeah. cases. And my biggest source of optimism still remains the same as uh, last time we, we, we had this chat. Um, it's early days, but clearly in the U.S. what we're seeing is that the uh, extreme measures, the extreme support measures for the economy taken by uh, the federal government and and also the Federal Reserve have supported personal income to the extent that it's actually higher than it was uh, before the crisis. Uh, whereas uh, the supply constraints, uh, the, the lockdowns of the virus have restrained uh, consumption. So we are going to have, we're going to go into these openings with the substantial amount of pent-up demand. In a way, this reminds me a little bit historically of what happened after World War II in the U.S., where you had all these people that had been forced to save money uh, because of the uh, supply constraints, and then the war was over, and all of a sudden there was an explosion of spending. So even though I'm being surprised a little bit negatively by the pace of, uh, of the reopening, uh, the, the fact that the, uh, the lockdowns have to be stopped and the reopenings have to be stopped or reversed in so many states, I think in the U.S. We have, we're going to have substantial uh, support and substantial pent-up demand that will, that, that, that will support 
uh, V-shaped recovery, assuming that uh, that the, the economy is allowed to reopen. Uh, in Europe, I think that the, it's not quite as dramatic. I don't think there's been quite the explosion of 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 support for income such as been in the U.S., uh, but also. Uh, employment has been maintained relatively well considering the crisis. And there too, I expect to see a lot of pent up demand ready to be spent as soon as the restrictions are open. So I think that we're going to live in a, in a supply constrained economy, uh, for a while, which in a way is good news. Yes, but generally, uh, speaking of the United States, there is an issue because within a month, the $600 uh, additional checks to unemployed will expire if nothing changes. And we currently don't have the political consensus to to agree on that. So what we have seen previously might not be really a repetitive thing in in terms of the people getting uh, higher paychecks. And this is one of the biggest risks, I think, for the United States that the uh, Republican Party uh, will not want to agree to further spending and their their comments have recently been uh, relatively constrained to, you know, they they prefer to review the current measures uh, until they take further steps, which is obviously understandable. Uh, but if there, the further steps are not taken, then those checks will expire. And the United States, the labor market is still uh, extremely shattered. Uh, and uh, so we'll see a large number of people still without jobs and with less support. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fair comment. But uh, I think that as uh, the, uh, the reopening process is reversed in states, I think that Republican, the Republican Party will get a fear of pot. And I am more optimistic than you are about uh, the, uh, some sort of additional unemployment benefits or even a repetition of the, of the uh, stimulus checks will take place. Uh, but I agree with you that that's probably the most important element, uh, the most important factor to watch in the U.S. economy, uh, whether a second round of stimulus is, is agreed to. Yeah, and yeah, you, you mentioned the U.S. labor market. I think that leads us quite nicely onto our, our next our next topic, which of course is this week's non-farm payrolls uh, report set to be released this Thursday. Um, we have, of course, seen a pretty, pretty impressive recovery in the U.S. jobs market uh, of late. Investors, of course, caught completely wrong-footed by the May report, which had a big bounce in jobs created of 2.5 million after investors had eyes eyed a contraction of 7.5 million. And I think if you look, signs since then have been relatively encouraging. We've seen um, continuing and initial jobless claims continue to trend lower. I think if you look at employment components, the latest uh, PMI data, they've shown signs of improvement as well, despite remaining below the level of 50 that represents a contraction. Uh, I think as we said, as, as the economy continues to open up, those industries, particularly the ones that are worst affected, such as hospitality and retail, for instance, should begin to see employees return back to work, um, which is likely to help ensure that this trend uh, in economic activity data persists. Would you, would you guys say that's a fair assessment? We'd like to see a, another month of job creation uh, this Thursday's report? Um, yeah, I agree. I think that the one the, the one uh, dark cloud over the report is, is technical in nature. The fact that there's been, uh, they published yesterday that uh, they might be underestimating the uh, the uh, unemployment numbers because of the uh, technical questions about how to handle people who are temporarily laid off from their jobs because of uh, COVID. But the net job creation number is probably more reliable. And that, that definitely was a, 
was a massive upward surprise. And uh, we, the, uh, the strategies are expecting yet another positive number. Uh, again, we have to be careful what we want to explain what we mean by positive. We're talking about rebounds for, from uh, uh, absolute records in job destruction, but nevertheless, uh, things are, are looking okay. And uh, one thing to t- keep, in to keep in mind is that this is still a bit of a lagging report. I mean, the, uh, the uh, surveys are conducted between the second and the third week of the month, of the previous month, that's uh, June. And those happened before we were seeing uh, the reversals in the reopening process in the U.S. Uh, so, in a way, I think that for now, the weekly numbers, the weekly jobless claims numbers and continuing claims numbers may be more relevant and may provide more information and may move markets more than the monthly report that we get on Friday. That's, that's my view, at least. Mm-hmm. So, generally regarding the U.S. labor market, it's uh, actually the the May report was extremely surprising. I, I don't remember being so surprised uh, for the past few years uh, with any economic data because the market expected the unemployment rate to jump to around twenty percent. It actually fell down from uh, close to fifteen percent. Right now, it is expected to trend uh, slightly lower, but we are likely not going to see this unemployment number go down significantly, and it will likely take a lot of time because you know the the biggest increases I think that we could that the United States could have achieved uh, after the lockdowns were eased are already behind it. So the recent uh, initial jobless claims and the continuing jobless claims also support the view that, yes, the recovery is uh, continuing and the situation is improving, but generally the the pace of this recovery isn't fast. And actually, you know, the Federal Reserve in their latest assessment, they still, for instance, expect the U.S. Uh, unemployment rate to be uh, just uh, just below 10% uh, at the end of the year, uh, which is still extremely high for, for such a developed economy. And if you look at the recent data on initial jobless claims for the past three weeks, uh, we have seen uh, the numbers at around 1.5 million, and it's really not really changed. So it's I think we are entering a phase in which those uh, those improvements will be more and more gradual. And that's why uh, I'm putting so much emphasis on the uh, government support for workers, because this crisis will not be averted uh, in a month or in a quarter, but this will likely drag on into the 2021, at least in the United States, I think. And also, I do think that there's a scope for a negative surprise based on the technical factors that I discussed on the unemployment rate. The, the household survey has had some issues in terms of classifying people who are uh, not likely to be rehired back from the, uh, from the jobs. Those, the PLS is, is made a huge effort to correct those issues and the impact may be negative. So we may, I think that the risks for the un- specific unemployment number this Friday are actually skewed to the downside, but we'll see. Yeah, I, mean, I think the key, the key really is the unpredictability of this number at the moment. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that the three million increase has been priced in by the market at the moment seems like a, a reasonable estimation. But of course, given that huge divergence we saw in the May report, a ten million difference between the actual consensus number. Um, yeah, I, I think we expect to be surprised a little bit by um, by this Thursday's report. Yeah, and. 
regarding the U.S. labor market data, I would just add that, yes, the, the weekly jobless claims are quite important and uh, uh, UNRK probably put more emphasis on that because this is just so timely, at least the initial jobless claims. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, the initial jobless claims only show one side of the market. So they, they only show the negative side. So how many people are laid off and they're claim, they want to claim benefits. Uh, and another thing is uh, that uh, generally I would say that, you know, the weekly changes in the initial jobless claims have not been a very good predictor of what happened to, to the payrolls, as Matthew just said. So, you know, if a person was to base their assessment of the situation in the U.S. labor market uh, in May based on the initial jobless claims and the continuing jobless claims, uh, and this is basically what, what happened, uh, we were completely wrong-footed. Everyone was wrong-footed based on this data. So I generally would say that the, the uncertainty in the data and even in, in terms of comparing the data is extremely high. And basically for a relatively long period, uh, we are going to not be sure what is happening and the as you said there is a, a very large scope for surprises and potentially even a negative surprise on friday okay should we move on now i think we'll end with our spotlight currency of the week which uh, this week is a brazilian real the currency for quite a while has been one of the most volatile in the emerging market universe a trend that definitely continued during the current crisis the real was one of the worst performers during the height of the market panic in march and at one stage was down almost 50% year-to-date versus the US dollar. We attributed this extent of the move to both the high political risk placed on the uh, Brazilian real and also the rather lax approach to the virus uh, adopted by Brazil's president, Bolsonaro, who actually actively discouraged social distancing. We have seen uh, a little bit of a rebound, though, in the currency um, against the US dollar, particularly period late June to early July. Are you guys optimistic this rebound in the real could continue? Uh, well, the, in addition to the, the the barrier that you pointed out, which is that they feared about the uh, quality of the response to the pandemic and the constant infighting caused by Bolsonaro's sometimes bizarre decisions and statements. Uh, the other issue that's hurting the Brazilian real is the uh, aggressive rate cuts by the central bank and the Brazilian real. It's a currency that has traditionally enjoyed some of the highest interest rates in, in the region uh, in support. And the uh, central bank has quite understandably taken advantage of the pandemic and the fact that, uh, that inflation everywhere is coming down fast to support the economy by cutting rates. And now we are at a level of 2.25% after the last COPOM central bank meeting, which I never thought I would see in Brazil, to be honest. Uh, and the, the currency is suffering because of it, which uh, the central bank is quite willing to countenance uh, lower currency because it's not filtering through yet to inflation. So those are the, uh, the, the negative factors. On the positive side, you have an economy like Brazil that uh, does not present any specific vulnerabilities. Uh, it's an it's not indebted in foreign currency, which is generally the uh, the biggest red flag for emerging markets at the, in, a, in a crisis. And so the uh, interplay with the negative and the positive forces right now uh, is giving you a lot of volatility and mostly to the downside. However, at current levels of like almost 5.4 to the dollar, I think that uh, that is, is probably one of the cheapest and most attractive emerging market currencies out there. 
Yes, so I would generally, speaking of Brazil, add two more factors, which I think are key for understanding what, what is currently happening. One factor is the fact that uh, Brazil is kind of similar to the United States uh, at this moment because it is uh, actually losing the, the fight with the pandemic, at least looking at the daily coronavirus numbers, which have increased substantially over the past few weeks. Uh, and we have also uh, seen, uh, I, I believe, that what we, we are seeing in the market also is the fact that uh, the uh, economic prospects in Brazil uh, are not as great and they likely warrant some other fiscal measures, which is understandable and it's actually positive in such an environment, even though Brazil is it's not indebted in foreign currency to a large extent, but it, it has a relatively high rate of debt to GDP at around, I think, 75%. Uh, and basically, uh, the Latin American countries, I, I think, are viewed... Uh, there is some scrutiny put on their fiscal situation. So uh, at least based on what we have seen in other Latin American countries and generally the uh, austerity and uh, controlling the deficit uh, has uh, been viewed positively in the past few years. And the fact that uh, right now uh, the country is might be pushed to spend more, uh, we are not, we don't know what will happen going forward. So maybe it will continue. Uh, maybe it will continue like that. And if that's the case, then maybe maybe the market is discounting it. And they are fearing that the fiscal situation in Brazil will not improve for the, the next few years at least. And considering that in case of the LATAM countries, which have had huge problems with the fiscal situations, uh, this is an important factor. Uh, I would say that, that this probably uh, also needs to, to have uh, our attention, you know, in addition to coronavirus numbers, because those have been really tragic. If you look at Brazil, Mexico, and many other Latin American countries, uh, this is basically where the pandemic uh, eruption is right now, uh, in addition to the United States. So those countries have a, a, a very negative numbers, and this is also uh, waiting uh, on the real, in addition to, to everything that we already mentioned. Yeah, uh, yeah, those, those virus numbers out of Brazil definitely a cause for concern, but I doubt, although there are at least some very tentative signs that it may be beginning to find a peak in Brazil, which I guess is encouraging. Um, but I still, I still think from a macro perspective, I think the real is one of the better placed um, emerging market currencies um, to rebound against the dollar, I think, particularly given very low levels of external debt and also, of course, uh, Brazil's massive level of foreign exchange reserves, which is hoarded over the years, um, which should provide confidence to investors that the central bank is willing willing to intervene and protect the currency um, should this sell-off become a little bit too excessive. So just to finish up, uh, one status investor views, uh, Brazilian real, buy, sell or hold? I would say buy. I would agree. I would say buy, but remain cautious. Ah, okay. okay. Well, I think that's it for today, guys. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit Ebury's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app and let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.